Hello, and welcome to Capstan Live. We're the podcast that makes sure you pay the real estate taxes you owe and not a dollar more. If you own commercial real estate or advise someone who does, you're in the right place for a real talk about maximizing tax savings. Hi, welcome to another episode of Capstan Live. I'm Helena Carmel, and I'm super excited because I'm here with one of my favorite people, and she's going to talk about one of her favorite topics. Welcome, Terry Johnson, to the pod. Welcome back. Thanks, Helena. Great to be here today. Now, Terry, I know that you love the tangible property regulations. Like, I know that you you are a cheerleader for them all the time. Before we like get into the nitty gritty, like, why do you, why do you think they're so valuable? Well, first of all, Helena, I've never really thought of myself as a cheerleader, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> you'll I'll, take I'll, it. I'll you'll take, take it. it. All right. Um, you know, it's interesting because I always say when I give any presentation, whether it's our Cost Ag 101, 201, 301, or some other presentation, I always include it in the presentation. That's the it. Tangible That's property it. Rights. You're always like, got to add the regs, got to add the regs. Because, you know, I think that people forget about it. And so. I guess I am a little bit of a cheerleader because I think there's a lot of value in the tangible property regs as it gives us this process to follow in order to make a determination when you're spending money on your property, making improvements, not purchase, you know, like an acquisition, but in making an improvement to the property, do I expense this spend mm-hmm. or do I capitalize it? And it kind of walks you through the whole process. And it and so that's, that's really why I like to talk about the tangible property regs, make sure people are educated about it and still using it and also taking advantage if you're using us for your cost segregation studies we have all the data that you need in those studies to be able to take advantage of the data to get you those um, expensing decisions to make those decisions exactly right? the cost seg study supports the decisions that you can make through the tprs okay i get that but the tprs were originally passed like in 2014 right like way back when right. and today things are different like you know, today we have TCJA and we have the CARES Act. Like legislatively, things have changed, but the TPRs still work. They still they work in combination with the newer legislation. It's absolutely still part of the picture. Right, Helena. So there's the, the tangible property regs are still very relevant. I think they've just Best, sort of. Yes, that's the I guess it, in a lot of ways, it feels like they've gone on the back burner because there's been so much emphasis right. on as you said, the new tax law, the CARES Act. I mean, we've been in a pandemic. So all that legislation has kind of got everybody moved forward in that direction. But these regs are very relevant, and I think that you can take advantage of them. And and so, you know, my concern always is that they're out there to be used and and really to make decisions. Why aren't people taking advantage of them? Right, and they absolutely still play a role. They're still relevant, mm-hmm. and they like, you know how like a like a white wine pairs well with fish or whatever. <laughs> so like the TPRs pair well with like the CARES Act or whatever. And is that well? I mean, I think that it's part of the process. So if you look at under the new tax law, from a depreciation standpoint, you know we we deal with a lot with the hundred percent bonus. Yes. And so you can write off a lot of your, you know, your five-year assets, seven-year, your 15-year assets, but and then come the CARES Act, it fixed that glitch for the qualified improvement property, which makes your improvements 15-year, write them off. Um, but there are situations that you don't necessarily, let's say you have um, residential real estate, 
and they they're not allowed to use the qualified improvement ah. property or you're just spending money on your property and you're not sure whether or not you can expense it so it, it that's where it comes into play so I think you always want to look to the tangible property regs to see can I expense this under the tan, tangible property regs I see yeah I see I see so yes I see why you like them they, they are useful and exciting um, so before we dive in Capstan actually has a great flowchart that walks you through a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today. It's a great thing to print and post in your office and share with your friends. And you don't need it to enjoy the podcast right now, but if you decide you want it later, feel free to let us know. You can go to our website, click contact us, a little box will come up and just put in there, I'd like the TPR flowchart, please, and we'll send it right out. Um, okay, so Terry, like you were saying, TPRs, the key point is that it, they help you make expensing versus capitalization decisions. Right. Um, okay, so let's start with expensing. Can you walk me through, like, the there's three different expensing options that the TPRs bring to the table, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. So I can walk you through that Please. really quickly. So if you if you happen to have the flowchart in front of you for the TPRs, it's sort of the upper tier. And the, the question would be, does the expenditure meet the exception to capitalization? So you do this expense test. So there's three different um, expense tests. One is for routine maintenance safe harbor. So the question really is, is am I gonna perform this activity more than once in a 10 year period or over the life of the asset? That would make it a routine, right? Like routine. it's something you have so, to do routinely at least once right. a decade. So Helena, let me give you an example. Please. Let's say that I'm seal coating my parking lot in a retail shopping center. Okay. And I know that I've got that scheduled to do once every five years. So that would be routine, routine, routine right? Routine. Or I'm, you know, I have on an annual basis, I have my HVAC equipment serviced and mm -hmm. maybe making some changes, updating parts, those kinds of things. That's routine, routine maintenance. Routine. Right. I love it. I'm a creature of habit. Love routine. Right. Okay. So, so the next one would be the de minimis safe harbor. So there's really two ways to look at this. If you have what we call you're an AFS taxpayer, applicable financial statements you are going to get a $5,000 per item per invoice safe harbor. Wow. So that means like, let's say that I'm buying 10 windows and they're all under $5,000, uh, that I could expense those wow. under, if, if I have an itemized invoice. I was just gonna that. say those, but I need the right documentation. Right. But let's say that I'm doing a huge renovation project and the windows are part of that project and it's part of the whole system. It's a renovation project. You know, you have to be careful. You might be able to take like a FF&E package from mm -hmm. an apartment building that you've got, like you're buying all the appliances and things like that. You could look at that per invoice per item. Okay. But let's say it's a drywall and you've got your drywalling, you've done a gut rehab and you're drywalling everything. Okay. Well, you keep in mind that's a contiguous system. So you've got to be careful it's per invoice per item. So if, if you're doing work where it's like drywalling a space, you can't necessarily ah. break it down. Like, you know what I like to say, although it's not totally applicable, if you buy a car, you don't buy the car in all of its parts. Right. The car. Oh, so that you, totally makes sense. So you kind of look okay. at it that way. Now for a non-AFS taxpayer, the policy would be $2,500 per invoice per item. Keep in mind, for the AFS, if you you know applicable financial statements, that you've got to have a policy in place, right? A written policy in place, and with the non-AFS taxpayer, where it's a twenty-five hundred dollars safe harbor, 
You just have to have a policy and you have to follow it. So what you don't want to see, Helena, is a depreciation schedule that you've, you've said you're following this policy, you've made that election, and then all of a sudden you see on the depreciation schedule that you're capitalizing items that are $1,500. So you've got to follow the policy that you've uh -huh. put in place, right? I see, I see, okay, yeah. that, that totally And then the, the final one is the small taxpayer safe harbor. And I have to say, I don't really ever see this, but it's basically gross receipts of less than $10 million and an unadjusted basis in that property of less than $1 million. So you're able to deduct the lesser of 2% of the unadjusted basis or $10,000. And they, they basically play with the de minimis and the routine maintenance safe harbor. Oh, so you can easily can reach be, that $10,000 oh, quickly. So okay. you, you, even if you've, you're using routine maintenance and you've spent 8000 and under de minimis, you've spent another fifteen. you you've exceeded the $10,000 limit. So to be honest, I just don't see. So you don't see the small harbor come I, up I really too much no. on a daily basis. Okay, all right, cool. That is very, very interesting. But before we go further, I know we need to talk about UOP, right? Before we, we go on to the next kind of tests. Um, UOP, unit of property. Terry, give me like a quick and dirty <laughs> explanation because I always get kind of confused. Well, you know, before the tangible property regs, there was no- There was no- There UOP. was no concept right. of unit of property. So what the unit of property does is that basically if you look at a building, you're breaking it down by its unit of property. So you have your building structure, mm -hmm. which is the, your the building envelope, which includes the roof, the the facade the windows all that is part of the building structure right okay and then you have your building systems things like your hvc your plumbing your electrical if you have escalator and elevators for example in okay. a, a shopping mall um or in an office building okay fire protection alarm systems security systems gas distribution systems um and anything that, like say you've done a cost segregation study and you've pulled out personal property, then that has its own unit of property. Uh -huh. in the, and so you have to look at it that way. And then this is really important. In addition to having these, the building structure, the building systems, you need to take a look at what assets are within the unit of property performing a discrete function. Isn't there something with windows? Right. So think of windows is a great example, Helena. So if you, you think about it, if I were sitting in this room right now, it's got two windows. If those, if it's the middle of the winter and we don't have windows in this building, we'd be kind of chilly. Yes. So they perform a discrete function. Uh-huh. Okay. And I would argue that something like a refrigerator performs a discrete function. I see. So we, we would, so when we get more into talking about the testing, I don't want to confuse everybody because we're just focused on the definition of unit of property right, right. now, kind of giving you an overview. So then we use that data. So for, for Capstan, if you're a client of Capstan or you would like to be a client of Capstan, what you see in those reports is that we break out the unit of properties done by for each building. So let's say you have a campus of buildings that have 10 buildings. Okay. It, let's say it's um, multiple office buildings on a campus that someone's acquired or and doing work on or multifamily. There were multiple buildings. There's a unit of property that we include in the report for each for building. For each separate that building. breaks down, okay. we tie to the basis uh -huh. and it, for that building by the the different unit of property categories so ah. but it doesn't reduce like depreciation reduces that's what i was gonna ask that's what i was gonna say so 
UOB has nothing to do with depreciation. Right. right? So, it, so you set no it relation. up that it ties to the original depreciation, right. but the only way your unit of property changes year to year is if you buying new assets uh -huh. that you're capitalizing would add its right. own unit of property, or you're you're getting rid of assets. But right. the UOP itself has no relationship to depreciation. No, so it doesn't on an annual basis, basis. get readjusted. Yes. It's only when you're adding and subtracting. Or subtracting concrete assets. Exactly. Okay. I think I finally understand. Amazing. Um, okay, so now with that kind of um, setting the table, let's talk about tests. And I'm a nervous test taker, so let's just like take it slow. <laughs> so the bar test is is the first test that people look at when they're, they're trying to make these decisions of expensing or capitalizing. And can you walk me through the whole alphabet, Terry, the B, the A, the R, sure. like make it real sure. clear? So here's the question that you, if you're looking at the um, flow chart, you see it. If you're not, I'm going to read it to you. It says, is the expenditure an improvement to the building system or the building structural component? So I, I'd like to back up for a minute, though. If we've done the expense test and we and, and the spend that we've made has, you, you haven't been able to take with any of these expenses. So basically, you you you're moving down the capital. Right, I can't, I can't expense, expense it. So I can't then expense. that's my so next question. Step two, yes. Is, is the expenditure an improvement to the building systems or the building structural components? So we have this thing we run as the bar test. Is it a betterment, adaptation, or a restoration? So let me walk you through those Please. really I'm nodding quick. knowingly after each one, but I still get the concepts confused. Please. <laughs> so I'm not going to drill down into each specific thing. I'm going to kind of highlight the things that we look for. Please. So as a, as a betterment, does it material increase productivity, productivity, efficiency, strength, quality, or output? So in other words, you've got normal wear and tear on a building, right, or assets. So if I am, say, replacing the, let's say that I'm replacing the, uh, part of the HVAC system. Okay. Is that increasing the efficiency? So think about it this way. If I have an HVAC system and I need to make a replacement, either the whole system or part of the system, and as we all know, technology gets better all the time. Yes. Right, Helena? So that, don't worry about. What you need to be concerned about is, is the basically the grade of the equipment. Is it the same as the grade level, or is it an upgrade? So if it's an upgrade, for sure, that's a So let's say, that, let's say that I'm really going for operational efficiency. Okay. I'm replacing my HVAC system or electrical system, and I want operation operating efficiency I want to spend less money on those makes sense right utility bills. okay so I'm gonna upgrade my efficiency right Go and ahead. let's say I'm going to all LED lights or something like that and I've been using t5s okay so that would be an upgrade so that's a betterment so that's a okay that's clearly but a if betterment. I'm replacing okay. it with like kind in other words ah. it might not be the same it's better but it's the same quality or grade if you will I see. then that's not necessarily a betterment isn't it a matter of like like quote unquote like restoring it to normal function am I on the wrong page am well, I that's more on the restoration oh I'm getting ahead You're of myself jumping ahead I'm on. getting ahead of myself I told you I get these so confused. let's go to the next one which okay. is adaptation. adaptation okay so with an with an adaptation, you adapt the unit of property to a new or different use from the ordinary use at the time that originally it was originally placed into service. So let's say that I have a manufacturing facility, and I've been doing manufacturing there for a long time, and I have, I'm a 
crazy entrepreneur and I'm always trying to figure out how to you know, get more visibility for my business and have people understand what I'm doing. So I say, you know what? I am going to take a part of my space and I'm going to make a retail outlet. Let's Ooh. say that I make candy. And so Terry, that, I like your example. <laughs> right? I make candy. So I want to take part of the floor of the, of the food production and turn and it I'm into a to, little... And I'm going to have a nice entrance. I might have like a little cafe, a little coffee bar. A place where people can see the candy being made through a made, window. Oh, I like this. Yeah. I'm, I'm going, I'm getting off topic, but I just, that you're, sounds you're fun. You're yes. It, okay. Right. So, but that would all be different that would be functions an adaptation. I'm, than you initially had. So that would definitely be an adaptation. Right. I get so I'm using okay. the space in a different way. I get it. So that would be an adaptation. And then a restoration is, there's a lot of different definitions, but you're either replacing a component um, after you've deducted a property loss or a deducting a loss, or you're replacing a component that was sold. Uh, you're replacing, you've had a casualty loss. Um, now here's what you were saying. You return the unit of property yes. to its ordinary efficient operating condition after deterioration. So let's... Because life happens, right? right? Stuff's going to wear but, out. But let's just be clear. Okay. This is different than routine maintenance. Ah, okay. I, let's say that I, I've owned this building for a long time and it's a cash cow and I just haven't put a lot of money back into it. I see. And I knew that that roof needed to be replaced, but I've just kind of let it go. And for as long as I could just... And all of a sudden it starts leaking like a sieve. Because you haven't been maintaining it, you mean? I haven't been maintaining okay. it. I haven't been doing my routine maintenance. Got it. So now I'm having in a position that I need to restore that roof to its original condition. So maybe I'm replacing the entire roof system. Ah. That would be a restoration. Uh-huh. That but would it, be it, a restoration. And that is something that you could not expense. Right. Right? Like that is a major improvement because you let your roof go to go to exactly. heck in a handbasket. And the other thing we see a lot of is when we're replacing major components, like in you know, we see in the industry, and you have to really go back and look at the regs because they actually give you a ton of examples of this. But I like you your see, examples. But Terry. When you see examples like twenty-five to forty percent yes material, yes. which we'll talk about in a minute. But if you're replacing, let's say, up to forty percent or a substantial structural part, which is more like twenty-five percent, mm -hmm. some of the examples in the regs, then that is considered a restoration. So, you know, we're going to talk about in a minute about this materiality idea, but I'm kind of introducing it here. Um, so those are the three. Is it a betterment? Is it an adaptation? Is it a restoration? So if I answer yes, it's a betterment, adaptation, or restoration to any of those questions, then I know that I have to capitalize. But if I answer no, I'm not done. If you answer no, you're not done. Okay, right, because if you answer no, you, but before you answer no, Terry, let's just pretend we answered yes. Like, let's pretend we're in your candy factory and you decided to add the shop in the front mm -hmm. and the cafe and make an adaptation. And so that is, yes, that's an adaptation and you must capitalize. But is there something that you can, is there anything else that you can do? Like, is, is that it? You're stuck? You're well, stuck? You got to you know, capitalize is, everything? But Helena, this is one of my favorite parts when I'm presenting this and say, you know, people kind of get the all is look. not lost. All is not lost. So even though you you reach the decision that you have to capitalize, as long so let's look at it this way: I am removing assets. So let's say that I'm right. still depreciating those assets. As long as I can identify them, and 
I know what the basis is of those assets. I can write them off as a partial asset disposition election in the year that they're removed. Whoa. And this is a really important point because if I remove those assets in, like, say, this year, but I don't put the new project in service until next year, I actually have to take that PAD election, partial asset disposition election, in 2021, if it's this year, because that's the way it's written in this. And it says if you don't take it in the year that the assets are removed, you can never go back and fix that. Oh. And you can never go back and take it. We see a miss on this all the time. Oh, that's such a wasted opportunity. Right, because we'll get pulled in after the renovation's complete, and if it's crossed over, we can't take the PAD election at that time. So think of it this way. You know, we've talked a little bit about some of the bonus depreciation, qualified improvement property, yes. and all this great depreciation. But you can also write off assets, because you have to capitalize those, so you can write off what you're removing, and let's say it's like 80% of it qualifies for- So you can for write off the remaining depreciable basis of whatever it was you got rid of. Right. And in then, that year that you got rid of it. Right. And it could be that it's a lot of, let's say it's that manufacturing facility that let's say 80% of the spend is non-structural and internal, that I can take that as qualified improvement property or personal property and write all that off with a 100% bonus, Psh. in addition to writing off what I just removed. Wow. So it's powerful. Okay. So yeah, all is not lost. Wow. That is very powerful. So... Wow, I am I am living in your candy world, Terry, and that's very exciting. Like, if I were you, I would totally advise uh, making that adaptation because <laughs> that would be really cool. Okay, so going back to the question now. So we said if you decide that it's not, your improvement is not a betterment, not an adaptation, or not a restoration, like you, you answered no, your improvement is none of those, are you good to go? You're not good to go. There's one more test, right, Terry? Right, so we call that the materiality test. And here's the question. Is the expenditure material to its unit of property or material at the discrete function level within the unit of property? I and mean, this is right off of our flowchart. Yes. So, and obviously this is distilled down from the regulations. So, you know, we refer to that as the materiality test here. So remember we talked, telling about the unit of property. Yes, this is where UOP comes in. Right, yes. so we've got the unit of property data in the cost seg report that Capstan has produced. So let's say that the electrical system, we've upgraded to LED lighting from right. T5s. Okay. And we've, we've only, um, we have a new um, tenant in the building that takes up, you know, a certain percentage of the space, but the lighting system itself is only partial in the building. It's not like the whole building. Okay. So let's say that it's 20% that we are replacing. So that's not material because remember we talked about it, it goes from like 25 to 40%. Okay, yeah, so wait, let's, let's just highlight that first of all. So for something to be, for an asset to be material, the magic number or the magic range, I guess, is between 25 to 40%. Right, and we look at the regulations to give us guidance as to, I mean, because they give all these examples. And but they don't really in, give a bright line they don't. number, right? That's that's And you challenging. see in the industry, some people use 30, 35%. I mean, right. we try to go back and really look at the at the regs and what the examples are and right. be true to that. And so, so we'll look at that and say, okay, in this case, it's pretty clear I see. Okay. that it, it's not material to its unit of property in that it is less than, say, that 25 to 40%. Okay. And then in that case, it's not material, therefore I can expense that spend. Hooray. So if it's not material, you can expense it. Right. That's great. 
Right. If it is material, I must capitalize. Right, so... But all is not lost again. Right, Terry? Well, we go back to that conversation, Alina, that we just had about the partial asset disposition right. election. So I end up back in that box. So I have to... I can then make sure that I'm writing off the assets that I have removed and that the remaining depreciable basis of those assets. Now, I just want to emphasize that, you know, some people might have a big, big yawn here over this topic because they're saying, hey, I got 100% bonus, I've got QIP. Yeah, what do I need this for? What I need this for, but I'm telling you what, these PAT elections, they're, they're significant. And when you, let's say you're working on a multi-million dollar project and you can write off another 500,000 yes. in partial asset disposition election on remaining basis, because the, here's the point, the IRS really doesn't want us carrying those assets on our books. They want us to write these assets off because they're no longer there, we've removed them. Right, why would you hold on to them? Yeah, right. right. That's amazing. That is, that, that is amazing. Like, I, I know you've seen like, really significant savings with these pet elections, and it's really a shame to, to have that go to waste. But the other it, thing is, is if you're, if you're up at the top and at one point you expense, you can't then take a partial asset disposition. So uh -huh. let's, because that's double dipping. Oh, no double dipping. But if you're capitalizing, even though you're going to take advantage of the bonus depreciation, you're capitalizing and you're able to take this pad election. I see. Terry, I feel like you've won me over. I feel like I also love the TPRs now. Like, I was on the fence before we started, but I, I, I see like they, how they really would complement our, our, our cost seg um, studies and how the cost seg study really like provides you all the data that then you need to like make these decisions and take advantage of those pad elections only during that year. That was super important, right, Terry? It has exactly. to be the year that the assets came out of service, not necessarily the year that you put in like whatever was going to replace it, right? It could right. be two different tax years. Um, so th this is great. And it's, it's like part of this comprehensive plan that I know Capstan always talks about, like this comprehensive plan of tax strategies, you know, like right. looking from all the angles. I love it. You, you won me over. I, I, well, and I've got one more thing for you in my bag. There can't even be more. Yeah. So we have a, a tool that's the expensing hierarchy. Oh, yes. So if anybody wants that, just when you go into that box that Elena mentioned, just put in expensing hierarchy. Because we get a question a lot of times. It's like, what order do I do oh, all this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what how does first? this Who's relate that first? Yes. to 179 expensing, to um, bonus depreciation? So, you know, I'm of a mind that I always look at this first and see if I can expense it that way. Mm -hmm. But um, we have this expensing hierarchy that kind of walks you through. And oh, it, that is useful. Yeah. So I would recommend folks also pull that down when they're pulling down the flow chart for the TPRs because I think they work in tandem well together. That's a really good point. Yeah, these guys are very useful. Um, the flow chart, um, the TPR flow chart is also double-sided, so be sure you look at the back. The back has a lot of like supplemental info too. Um, Okay, I feel like we've hit all the high points of the TPRs, and what a journey it's been, Terry. Well, thanks for having me today on, <laughs> on your little Capstan Line podcast. No, I really enjoyed it, and it's great to be here. Your enthusiasm was contagious, and I love the TPRs now, even though I, I used to... Listeners, I used to not like them, but now I do. <laughs> now I do. Um, and I hope you liked what you heard today and enjoyed this episode of Capstan Live. If you liked it, why not subscribe? We're on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or you can just go to our website at capstantax.com and click on podcasts. There's ample ways to access your podcasts. Um, if there's anything you'd like to hear about, we're all ears. Thanks so much for tuning into Capstan Live. 
I'm Helena Carmel here with Terry Johnson and our producer with the most, which doesn't, that doesn't rhyme, Aaron Strongen. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Capstan Live. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Visit our website at capstantax.com for more info on everything we discussed today, plus breaking news, industry blogs, and more. Have a profitable day.